Welcome in, everybody. Thank you for joining me. I, this is the first of a two-part series on the Notre Dame offense and specifically Mr. Ian Book, your starting quarterback for 2020. Ian Book is 20-3 and three as a starter at Notre Dame. However, some people want a little bit more, want some better performances in some big games, uh, want him to carry the team along in these big games when it seems like we're overmatched, make a few plays, okay? So what does the national outlook on Ian Book look like as far as where he's ranked in the tiers and the pantheon of college quarterbacks? And most importantly for our discussion, how could this perception change after 2020? Is it possible? What needs to happen for that to happen? All of that and more we're going to discuss. Let's go. We talk about respect. We talk about respect around the country. One thing that we want more than anything else, and that's respect. Welcome to the Always Irish Show. A whole lot of Notre Dame football and a little bit of everything else. Roger, hitch up your child and say, hey, baby, here I am now. That's right. Welcome back. Welcome into another edition of the Always Irish Show. Thank you very much for joining me. As always, you can find me on YouTube at Always Irish. I do appreciate a subscription. Write a comment in the box. Like it. Share share the video with your friend. Whatever you want to do, I appreciate it. Twitter. Type in Always Irish. You'll find me right away. Or at JKZND4. Like I said, like, subscribe, review, write mean things. I don't care what you do. I just like the interaction. iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, those are all brought to you in part by Big Heads Media. Check it out. I'm trying to keep up with the audio stuff, even though I'm doing a lot of YouTube. I'm crossing it over pretty well, so hopefully you road warriors like the new quality formatting of the audio only. Should be crystal clear, no crackling in the background, nothing. So I hope you guys appreciate and enjoy that. Trying to take care of you guys, okay? The emails, keep them coming. I already got a bunch of submissions for try to make Always Irish laugh with water in his mouth. So keep those coming. The email is alwaysirishnd at gmail.com. Keep them coming. I do appreciate you. First things first. Happy Father's Day to all the the dads, uh, the stepdads, the father-in-laws, the grandfathers, all that kind of stuff. If you're like me, you inherited this Notre Dame thing through family, probably your dad. Okay, so 
I wouldn't be the way I am if it wasn't for the way my dad and his dad were. So if anybody has a problem with the way I am with Notre Dame, blame my family. Don't blame me. <laughs> blame my dad and grandpa, okay? The, the lasting memory I have of my grandfather is his pure, genuine, and utmost hatred for Bobby Bowden. Okay, that was my childhood growing up in that window with 93, that whole period where Florida State had it going. The, the one thing, even after his death, the one thing that sticks out to me more than anything else is his pure, genuine, and open hatred for Bobby Bowden. I, I love the man for it. It's one of my fondest memories of him is all the things he would say about Bobby Bowden when we were little. I shouldn't have heard those words, but I'm glad I did. Okay, so happy Father's Day to everybody, um, and and I'm sure your fandom has a lot to tie in with family just like mine does, so blame them if you got a problem with how emotional I am over this stuff. I learned it from somewhere. I guarantee I wasn't born this way, okay? So that's the first thing. Here's the second thing. Um, I have multiple Twitter followers, listeners to this show that I've gotten to know very well, and I consider us friends, some of whom I've never even met before, and I consider them good friends. We talk on the phone all the time. I got multiple of you guys, <clears throat> excuse me, that are battling COVID or have family battling COVID. I want you to know we're all thinking of you, praying for you. I got candles being lit at the grotto for people, okay? So just know that we got you covered, okay? And then I have uh, another really close friend going through a lot of family health stuff. Not even COVID, but a couple different cancer situations. Just awful. So you know who you are. I know you're listening. We love you. We're praying for you. And and just know that, that you're in my thoughts and um, all of our thoughts here, okay? This is a family situation. We're all in this together. So you know who you are and, and uh, just know that we're thinking of you, okay? So, so getting that stuff out of the way, let's get into this a little bit. Here's the first thing, a little bit of breaking news. It just came out today. I think 91 players and staff at Notre Dame were COVID-19 tested. One came back positive and is being quarantined away from people. Um, I was actually told there was more than one a while ago. But my source said, just don't say anything because I don't know how Notre Dame's going to handle it if they're going to make an announcement. And uh, I'm not trying to burn an inside source bridge by trying to break the news and get in here early. Uh, I, I would rather not do that. So it's not a surprise to me. The fact that it's one out of 91, I guess, is a good sign. Listen, you guys, I'm just nervous about this. Um, people are calling me a snowflake and everything. Why are you worried about COVID? These guys are young. So whatever, like Clemson's guys are young too, and they have 23 that tested positive. So telling me they're young and healthy and not to worry about it clearly is not accurate. So quit sending me those tweets about these guys are young. You should just get over it. It doesn't apply. It obviously does apply. Okay. Look at major league baseball. They had to shut down all their spring camps because a bunch of players and coaches got it. So Save me the tweets that this doesn't affect these young, in-shape guys when it clearly is. So I don't know what to make of this. You know, I was talking with Pigskin Pete on our combined show last week, and he was saying, John, maybe maybe this is a good thing that Clemson got 23 guys, but it's now 
so they could get over it now, build up some antibodies or whatever. I'm not a doctor. I don't know. Uh, so I don't know what to make of it. Um, these Everybody's doing the best they can. We're just going to have to wait and see. So I am anxious and nervous because, damn it, we just need some football. So hopefully this all gets figured out. I guess if it's one out of 91 for Notre Dame, that's really not that bad of a percentage. So I don't know, but it's just scary to me. It's touch and go. We're just going to have to see, but it raises my anxiety. I already got enough anxiety about Notre Dame if they played games as normal. Now I don't even, I'm stressing about whether I'm going to get to stress. That's, (laughs) you know, it's just wild. These are wild times. So that's the news with the uh, COVID and Notre Dame. It's play it by ear and we'll just hope we can play this season and this doesn't blow up and we have to stop in the middle of the season. Nobody knows what's going to happen, but save the tweets to me that these guys are young not to worry about it when every single day there's more young athletes getting it, okay? So save me that because it's not accurate. You're not right. I'm not saying these guys are all in in bed on a ventilator next to 100-year-olds dying because of it. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying getting the virus. I'm not seeing, saying... They're going to be laid up there. The virus itself is a problem, whether it's asymptomatic or symptomatic. In some ways, you could argue if it's asymptomatic, it's worse because you're going around giving it to everybody without knowing it. So I don't know. But spare me saying I shouldn't talk about it anymore because it doesn't apply when all the the details say that it does. All the facts say that it does. So spare me that from now on, okay? So let's get into the topic of the day, okay? And... This is maybe maybe going to surprise some people, maybe not. I don't know. But I started reading last week a couple different articles. It's the off season. Everybody's looking for stuff to write, looking for a story. So what do you do? You write articles about the different tiers of D1 quarterbacks and who ranks where, what tier, how good they are, right? Couple of these stood out to me when you're looking at when you're talking about Ian Book Sporting News had him ranked all the way up as the fifth best quarterback in college football. CBS College Football Sports has him all the way into the third tier of quarterbacks behind guys like Morgan at Minnesota, Sam Ellinger, Texas, Purdy, ISU, King, Miami, Slovis, SC, Bouchelle, Trask, Florida, Jamie Newman, Georgia, okay, and and Ian Book in this, the top of kind of the third tier. So when you ask yourself, where does Ian Book fall in these tiers? Well, I get obviously the answer is it depends on who you ask and what their formula is. Because I got all the way up at fifth, and then I have all the way in the third tier with some guys in between that I probably would not pick to run my team over Ian Book. So I don't know what to make of that. It's not very clear. Listen, it's it's Lawrence and Fields 1-2 with Lawrence being the runaway number one, going to be the number one pick in the draft barring a major injury. Hopefully he avoids that. Even though we play him, you never hope that on any kid. So those are your top two. And then we have this, this big gap. So in terms of Ian Book, here's the deal. Okay, so... You got him at, what, 60.2 completion percentage. That's 8% down from 2018. I don't like that. If you're not going to be the deep ball thrower with accuracy all the time, 
You at least got to be near 70% completion for me to be comfortable with it. 60.2 down about 8%. Um, I don't love that. I'm not sure what caused that. Uh, but I got to see that creeping up near 70 this year. We talked about 20 and 3 as a starter is really, really solid. Um, here's the deal, though. Being the quarterback is the single most important individual position in all of sports. Okay. It is number one, the most important position individually in all of sports. So what happens when that's the case? You end up getting more blame and or more credit for whatever happens on the field because you're the quarterback, right? That's how it works. It's like being the head coach. You get all the credit and all the blame no matter what. Okay. So so that's kind of the deal. Where do I think Ian Book falls? Definitely not third tier for me. He's way above average. He's just not elite. He's just not elite, but he isn't third tier to me. I take him above a lot of those guys I mentioned. So I think he's firmly planted somewhere in that second tier. Clearly not physically elite the way that Lawrence is as far as his height, his speed ratio for his size, his arm strength, make all the throws, all of those kind of measurables that has the NFL in love with him two years ago, right? Like those things you're just kind of built with and born with. Um, and a guy like Lawrence just checks every single possible box, okay? So the way I look at this is there's when you consider a quarterback elite, I look at that in two different ways that you get to that level of being considered elite. One of them are pure physical measurables and attributes like Lawrence, okay? The height, the arm strength, the speed, all that kind of stuff. Make all the throws, all, all those measurables. That's what I look one piece of being considered elite. Pairing that up to truly be considered elite once you go from high school to college the other part of being labeled elite is your on-field game results. Are those elite? Are you winning those big games? Are you making the play you got to make to win the big games against the best teams you play? Okay, so while Ian Book's 20-3 and three overall, nobody would put him in the physically elite category like Lawrence, and that's not a knock on Ian Book. He just wasn't built like Lawrence, just like I wasn't, Okay. So those measurables he was born with, and then he's honing his skill. Nobody's going to claim Ian Book has those. That's not a knock on the kid. It's just the reality of the situation. And then when you look at the second piece, those elite big game results, that's where we do not have those. Okay? Now, here's, here's one thing you got to consider, and this is tricky to navigate when you're going down this path having this discussion. When I mentioned those big game results, look at Lawrence. He was considered an elite physical specimen talent coming out of high school. Fine. But then he came in as a freshman, ran the table, destroyed everybody, won the championship as a freshman. That secures you as elite. You're winning the biggest of the big games on the big stage with your God-given talent. Okay? So you look at that. And here's the tricky part of this. When you look at Notre Dame's failures in the biggest games, I know both Georgia games were close, but did you win them? No, you didn't. Okay. 
Look at what happened with Clemson. We already know that. You could tell me they're the best team in the last 100 years. I'm still not going to feel good about getting blown out, not even being able to score a touchdown. Get real. Are you serious? I don't care what they did to Alabama. I don't care how good they are. You can't score one touchdown. Give me a break. Give me a break. Okay? But here's the thing. It would be unfair to blame Ian Book singularly for these big picture failings that involved the whole team. The whole team failed to show up against Michigan in the big house last year. The entire team. That is not Ian Book's fault. Mental preparation and framework entering these big games. Proper motivation entering these big games is a big problem I have. It's one of my biggest criticisms of Brian Kelly so far. He's been able to do a ton of good things. But to me, he has failed to mentally prepare his team to play their best on the biggest stage in the biggest moments. Laying that egg in the big house, there is absolutely no reason that should ever happen, especially coming off a bye. Okay? So there's a lot of things that go into this. It would be lame of me to just say, oh, yeah, Ian Book's the reason in these big games we don't win. That's not true. All these things are portioned together to make what happens on that Saturday. The the practice work, the preparation, the mental aspect, Brian Kelly getting these guys ready or not, or not for these big games, having the proper mentality, execution. All the other players have to play good. So it's not all on the quarterback. I understand that. However, like we mentioned, quarterback's the most important position in all of sports. Therefore, it is incumbent on quarterbacks to give their team a spark when things aren't going well. You're in control of the whole offense. You touch the ball more than anything, anybody else. Make a play. Make a play. You're the quarterback, and you're the quarterback at Notre Dame. So whether you think this part's right or wrong, when you're in those situations where it's tough, things aren't going well, That's when the most important individual player on your team has to step up and make some plays. That's just the way it goes when you're a quarterback. So we need more of that against Clemson, against Wisconsin, against Southern Cal. We need more of that. Step up and make a big play to change the way things are going. That's what the best quarterbacks are capable of doing. Okay? So... Here's the deal. Here's where we are. While we all want that next Trevor Lawrence, okay, while we want that, what we have now is a upperclassman going to be a three-year starter in Ian Book with all the starting linemen returning that I'm told are the best unit in the country. I keep reading it. Notre Dame line, number one in the country. Okay, so you got Ian Book coming back, third year as a starter. All these linemen returning. I trust that Clark Lee's going to put a defense that can win our games out on the field. He's earned that from me. Unlike the offense, the defense has earned that from me. I trust that Clark Lee's going to put a defense out there that can win us our ball games. Okay, so there are some trouble spots in the defense I'm a little worried about, especially when you get into the back end a little bit. But overall, I trust that that defense is going to come to play and keep us in ball games. So I look at this, 
and I see Ian Book three plus, three years starting. I see all the linemen returning. I look at all the athleticism we have from the skill guys, the speed that we have, and I ask myself, what's possible for 2020? What's the high end for this group in 2020, especially the offense in Ian Book? So while I don't see Ian Book as elite now, because you can't be if you're getting blown out in your big games. Sorry, you're not elite if you're getting blown out in your biggest games or you're not winning them. I don't care. You can't be elite if you're not winning your biggest games, period, period, okay? But does that, I'm going off history. What could happen this year that could change that? I would love nothing else than for Ian Book to be in the elite conversation after this year. And there are some ways he can get there that I want to go over. They're very, very specific, and they're very, very high-level goals. But that's where Notre Dame is right now. Notre Dame's earned the scrutiny to be judged at a high level of borderline elite because they've only lost a handful of games the last three years total. Okay, so... They've earned this high bar I'm going to go over. But there are a couple different ways Ian Book could get into the elite discussion by the end of this year. That's what I want him to do. So I know I'm going to have people saying, John, you're a hypocrite. You just did a video a month ago saying Notre Dame's quickest path is an elite quarterback. What happened to that? Yeah, that still applies. That still is the quickest way. I want to see Ian Book get there towards the end of this year. And then Tyler Buckner, Drew Pine, whatever we're going to do, we're going to do. Whoever it's going to be, it's going to be. Okay, so so I want him to get there. He has a fan, Ian Book has a fantastic opportunity right out in front of him in 2020 to change the narrative and shut people up like me. And I hope he does it. He has a perfect opportunity to do so. So here's how I see this. I think Ian Book's way, way above average. And I think if he just plays average, not below his normal, not above his normal, if he just goes out on the field and plays a pretty average Ian Book quarterbacking game, I think Notre Dame can win nine out of their 12 games just with him being average with the defense we're going to have and the athletes on offense and that allegedly elite returning offensive line that rushes for 48 yards when it matters in big games. But they're elite, I'm told. Okay, sure, whatever you say. It's good for an article. Get a lot of Notre Dame clicks. So be sure to go keep putting that out, okay? So I think he could beat nine teams just by being his average self, which is alone a way above average. I'm just saying his average self. Then you got those nine nine teams, and then I think you have USC, Clemson, and Wisconsin where he needs to play a little sharper, a little above his average run-of-the-mill game for us to beat those teams, okay? So now I'm already making this somewhat reasonable for him. If he just plays average, this team should win nine of those games right off the bat just by talent disparity on the rosters, okay? So let's talk about some of the other games, though. So here's here's what I see. You got these three games where I think he's going to have to play a little bit above his average for us to be in them and potentially win them. 
it's no doubt who they are, the, the three teams with the most talent besides us that we play, Wisconsin, Clemson, Southern Cal. It's very straightforward to me. But here's the thing, and I always go over this idea, and it's a very nuanced idea. And some people bicker with me on the, the language there and the semantics. But here's what I always say. You do not have to be elite to play elite, if that makes sense. Lawrence is just elite. He is. He's elite by any measure you want to do. On the field, off the field measurables, in-game results, playoff, whatever you want to talk about. Elite. Elite. Ian Book, we already talked about, isn't going to have those physical attributes to be considered that. Fine. Play your normal game nine weeks. Give me above your normal game in these three games. Wisconsin, Clemson, USC. Just rise your game. Be a gamer. Play above yourself. Play outside yourself. That's how Lou got where Lou got. Lou got where Lou got by motivating his guys to play better than the collective group should have. When they're playing Miami, when they're playing Florida State, and those teams probably have more talent and get more hype. He got those guys in the mind space where they could go out there and play better as a collective group than the talent would indicate they should be able to. So what I'm asking for Ian Book to do, rise to the occasion. This is your last dance, your last ride. Ball out. You got a young offensive coordinator that he connects to, he likes, he can relate to, that could develop him a system to excel in maybe further than he did last year and the year before. Okay, you got all your linemen returning. Like, everything's there. I just need him to rise to the occasion and be a gamer on the biggest stage. Make a few big plays that we just haven't gotten in these ball games that could turn the tide. So, I, is this possible? Sure. Is it likely? I don't know. But I'm not going to write it off and say it's impossible with all your with everything I said three-year-plus starter, all your linemen returning, all this speed and skill talent I see on the offense, I don't think I'm asking for too much for you to put up some decent points in our big games. Quit scoring 14 and 17 points in your biggest games of the year. It's an embarrassing offensive output. Okay? I'm sick of it. So now's your chance. I'm I'm totally open to this, but you got to play better than you've been playing in these big games. You have to be able to bring everybody along, make a big play that changes the game or changes momentum or does something, gives us some life. I'm sick of these big games where we score 14 or 17 points and hang the, uh, the defense out to dry because they, they can't give up 14 points or we're going to lose. Okay? So Ian Book has the most perfect opportunity with these games in front of him, on the big stage, games of the week, Clemson-Notre Dame might be the game of the year if it's allowed to happen and there's fans there, who knows, whatever. But he has a perfect opportunity. I just want to see a little more out of him in these big games. He needs to be the leader, the one that changes the tide, the one that sets the tone, the one that makes the big play, that flips the field early, changes everything. I need that out of the starting quarterback in Notre Dame. It's not. No one's ever going to tell me this. It is not too much to ask 
for Notre Dame's starting quarterback to play decent in our biggest games. Not too much to ask. No one's going to tell me that I'm asking too much of that. This is Notre Dame. It is not too much to ask for our quarterback to play good against the good teams. This is Notre Dame, okay? That used to be just expected. So don't tell me I'm asking too much. Whoever the starter is, insert name. I expect him to show up and play good against the good teams we play. I'm never going to come off that. That's expected when you take this job and you're the starting quarterback at Notre Dame. Okay? So... He's got the opportunity. It's all laid out in front of him. He could totally change the narrative, win these ball games, and at the end of the year have people going, wow, what a gamer, year three, new offensive coordinator, you know, offensive line, giving a lot of protection. He could do this. He could be in that elite discussion by the end of this year. But I got to see more. I got to see some high-level results and some touchdowns scored in these big Ball games, okay? So, I think Ian Book is way above average in that second tier. He doesn't have to be elite to play in an elite fashion three times this year. Three times. Ball out with your friends. It's your last year. If you're Ian Book, you don't know if if being a backup in the NFL is an option or if you're going to be, you know, you don't know. You got to go balls to the walls, take some chances, be aggressive, try and score some damn points in these big ball games, okay? That's what I need from you. It's not too much to ask. So quit telling me that it is. So overall, while we all want our Lawrence where it's just obvious he's elite, you know you're going to get elite play most of the time. In lieu of that, we're in a situation where I want Ian Book to succeed so bad. I want this narrative to change. I want better big game results. I know he does too. It's all in front of him. He's got the perfect chance to do it. And we should all be rooting for him. That's the thing. I get this. I have this reputation. I get this thing. Like I I put out the video saying we need elite quarterback play. And then I take all this heat about Ian Book being 20 and 3. Is that nothing's good enough for you and all that stuff. Listen, I want him to succeed. I'm not rooting against him. He's our guy. I want to root him on. We all should. Why wouldn't you? He's a way above average player. That's just not going to win all of our games, and that's the bar now. So I I just need a little bit more. He's got the chance to do it. I hope it happens. We should all support the hell out of him, okay? Just because I want the next Lawrence doesn't mean I want Book to fail. Both those things... Expand your minds, man. The the narrative people want in their minds, they build and they block out every other logic and reasoning that there is. It's perfectly logical and I'm capable of doing two things at once. Wanting Tyler Buckner, Drew Pine to be the next Lawrence and to have a guy that I know is going to be elite give us a chance to win these big games. Okay, I can want that from whoever our next quarterback is. And also want Ian Book to be better because he's our guy now. Both of those can be active and going on at the exact same time. Okay, so yes, I want one of those guys to turn into an elite player. Two is I want Ian Book to get the most out of his last year, ball out, win these games that we're not winning and we embarrass ourselves in offensively. 
I'm absolutely disgusted by these offensive outputs in these big games. 14 points, 17 points, 48 yards rushing. Totally disgusting and sickening. It needs to end. We have all the talent and the guys we need to do it. Get it done. Now or never. Now, I wanted to briefly touch on something. If you watched my uh, Always Pigskin, my combined show with Pigskin Pete from last week, we touched on this a little bit, but I wanted to hit it here because I know everybody doesn't get a chance to watch and listen to both shows. The, there's new laws in this country regarding image and likeness and players being compensated for things like sitting there and signing autographs at a car dealership, being in a commercial, doing appearances, what, whatever it is. So California passed this law back even before COVID blew up in February, I believe, saying that any college athlete in that state, they can be paid for their image and likeness, just like any other college student could take a job and be paid. There isn't much structure and guidelines on how that's going to go coming from the NCAA or this law, if there's a dollar amount, if uh, there's just not a lot of guidance. So now you're starting to see different states and schools pop up with their own response to this, what they're going to do or whatnot. Here's the, my condensed version on how I want Notre Dame to handle this. With everything going on right now uh, in college football, the power shift dynamic that's occurring between these players and the coaches and the machine that's big-time college football. You're seeing a seismic shift in the power dynamic. The players are gaining more voice and more power than they ever did before. This is going to be a trend moving forward, okay? Keep that in mind in this discussion. It would be so Notre dame for them to get up there and say, you know, high and mighty Notre Dame, holier than thou. We want our guys to be here for school and we're not going to do this and we think this is wrong. That is a mistake. That is a deadly mistake. With everything going on right now, do you want to be the school that stands up and says, we're against these guys getting compensated for work they do? Do you really want to know how that image is going to play out in recruiting if that's your angle? And all these good players think you don't want them to make a buck for doing something? Is that really the path you want to go down? I got news for you. It's not. That will backfire on you so quick. You will you may never recover. If you say, if this is the future and you're not willing to play and, you're gonna, and then you're going to be working from behind in about seven years, you realize that was a mistake, it might be too late and you'll be dead and forgotten about. Okay? So... Here's how I want Notre Dame to handle this. I do not expect Notre Dame to embrace this with open arms. We're going to have a booster, give a guy 250 grand to get a good player to be in a commercial for a car dealership or to sit there and sign a few autographs. We give you 100 grand to get some good player. That is not how I want Notre Dame to handle this. I want Notre Dame to make strategic partnerships with their alumni base that are in power have companies, they're CEOs, they work in finance, they work for all these organizations. Everybody knows the power that Notre Dame alumni base has in terms of business acumen, credentials, money. Okay, everybody knows that. 
I want these companies to build strategic partnerships with the football program to be able to pay these guys some money and have it tie into some sort of business experience. I don't want Notre Dame guys to get paid 100 grand just to sign something. I want them to be able to experience some of the business aspects of these companies and actually learn not a full-on internship. They're not going to have time for that. But I want there to be some on-the-field learning about business with this to where it's a benefit for them and it ties into academics, helps them learn more about the business world, big business. Also be a way for them to make some money for themselves, send home to their family. And oh, by the way, you also have the 40 for 40 Notre Dame pitch that still applies. You also have the NFL as an opportunity that still applies. Now you're also going to be able to say you could come here, make a hundred grand a year, learn more about businesses. This is a win, win, win situation. Notre Dame could leverage this so beautifully if they knew what they were doing. Any smart school already has a committee working on building these partnerships with their alumni base. I'm telling you, this is the future. So you got to build these programs to where your best players, if they want to, can have a chance to be infiltrated into some of these businesses, make some money, learn some business experience, make some business connections. That's the path for Notre Dame to use this. I don't expect Notre Dame to do the bag, man. We'll give you 200 grand for the best player. And then, oh, by the way, the other 200 grand comes under the table with the bag, man. That's not Notre Dame's gig. It's never going to be. I don't want it to be. But I want you to build strategic business partnerships to get your guys involved in this, also benefit financially, further their education. It's a win-win-win if Notre Dame embraces it and frames it right. That's why this is key. The idea of a Notre Dame guy getting under grand being the spokesman of some car dealership, you know there's going to be Notre Dame holier-than-thou people that are just appalled. They're going to be passing out at the idea that these players are going to get money for that. That's not palpable to a lot of Notre Dame holier-than-thou type people. You frame it and just call it some fancy business development, some sort of program, wrap it into the ongoing education, hook them up with alumni that are successful, get them in that business loop, give them some financial benefit, teach them some business skills that will apply later in life, whether they make it to the NFL and that career only lasts, what, an average of four or five years is the average. You're going to need some business acumen after that. If you don't make it to the NFL, you're going right in the business world after Notre Dame. You're definitely going to need that. So this is a total win for Notre Dame. They can leverage this into some beautiful, gorgeous, large-scale program if they know what they're doing. If they come out and take some hardline stance against this, it's going to backfire like you wouldn't believe. I'm telling you, these players have more power than ever. You do not want to be the school who says to them, you can't get paid for doing some work. You do not want to be that school. If Notre Dame goes that path, join the Ivy League. They're not interested in playing big-time college football because this is the future. So if they refuse to play the game now that it's legal, there's no stigma to it, 
if they still refuse to play the game, they're telling you they're not interested in being nationally relevant because this is what where this is going. You either need to get on board or you're going to be left behind. Okay, so that's what I want to see Notre Dame do in response to these new laws. And I don't want it to be passive. I want them to come out, talk about this, say openly, we are proud to embrace this. So much so we've developed this new entrepreneurial uh, experience program that our guys can get in and get hooked up with a business uh, area they may be interested in and find an alum who owns one of those businesses, whether they're interested in finance or sales or whatever it is, whatever it is, hook them up through this strategic entrepreneurial uh, program, whatever you want to call it. And it could be a win across the board for everybody. The school wins, the alums win for uh, feeling like they're helping the program along and helping a kid learn about business. Um, Maybe this attracts you one or two more really good kids that likes this and will buy into it. You don't know, but you got to play the game to even be a part of it. So that's what I need to see Notre Dame do with this. In no way do I expect them to just pay kids 200 grand to show up and take a few pictures. I want it to be more strategic and academically driven. Notre Dame could, this could be a home run for Notre Dame. If they listen to Always Irish's plan, bring me on campus. I'll whiteboard this for you. It ain't hard. I'll even give you the names of some of the CEOs I know, some of these business types that would love to dump some money directly into this. Not the big pool for you to decide what to do with their money, but directly help the football program in this way, help grow these young men. That's the path. That's what I need Notre Dame to do. That's it. Okay. That's right. It is indeed time for another always annoyed segment. know what time it is it's time for always annoyed so here's what i got now you can call me okay boomer you can you can you can say anything you want to this but it's still gonna bother me because this is not how i operate business this is not how i do business as a customer or as a business manager director okay i've been having more and more customers come to my office Set a time to meet. John, I need to meet with you. I need to go over this stuff and talk to somebody. Fine. I book them, schedule my window of appointments. I'm totally prepared for them, have a background of, of their history, where I need to go with them. So I'm not starting from scratch. I got it all planned out. I have these people call me, schedule an appointment at a time that works for them. Come to my office. We go in the back conference meeting room for a little privacy. And these people are on their phones. And I just don't get it. It turns me off. They'll ask me a question. I'm explaining it to them. And they're looking down on their phone. And I know they're not taking notes of what I'm saying. That's not what they're doing. So I had one guy do this. And I could see he was on Facebook. I had another lady do this. She's just answering random people calling her while she's 
taking my time. I set aside for her to have an, a sit-down appointment face-to-face. This is not appropriate in my estimation. You could call me an old guy all you want, but when you call somebody at a business and set up a time to meet with them face-to-face, you put your damn phone away. Put that thing down. It's a waste of my time. And even if when people are doing that and I'm explaining some process to them or why they have to pay for something, it's kind of important. And they're sitting there and then every once in a while they'll look up and kind of nod. I can't help but feel like I don't have your attention. You're not interested. You don't value my time. How else am I supposed to interpret that when we're face to face and you're not looking at me face to face and I'm trying to help you? I shifted my appointment schedule to accommodate you. The least you could do is look at me while we're having a discussion. But more and more, I have these people who do this and they're on their phone the whole time looking down while I'm answering their questions or we're in the middle of our discussion and their friend calls and they just answer the phone during our meeting. Oh yeah, Barb. And when I leave here, I got to go to the jewels and go get some groceries. Are you serious? This is totally rude social behavior. You don't do this. It's totally inappropriate. You do not do that to someone when you schedule an appointment with them to meet face-to-face. Put your damn phone down. For 20 minutes, you can't be off your phone 20 minutes. So I don't understand that. Maybe I'm being a boomer or like an old person for thinking this. But I can't, I can't imagine a scenario where, where the business person wouldn't be offended that they're taking time to meet with you and you're at least at a minimum appearing to not pay attention or literally you're not paying attention. Maybe there's people who could scroll through Facebook and listen to me. But when I make an appointment to speak with you one-on-one, it is not too much to ask that, that we're interacting and there are no distractions. I don't bring my phone in the meeting room. I don't even want my phone ringing while I'm with the customer because I think that's rude. So I don't even do that. I don't even have my phone in that room because it's rude. I don't even bring a laptop in that room because I want to look at somebody face to face, make a human connection about the business transaction and the details we're doing. And I don't like this artificial wall in between us. So I, I do. Call me old all you want, but this tech stuff needs to be put aside so we can have a human discussion. Get on the same page. Make sure we both understand each other. And I can't do that when you're not paying attention. You're wasting my damn time, okay? So this also translates to loud ringtones in public inappropriate. Unless you're a damn firefighter, an emergency surgery doctor or a nurse or something, there's no reason anybody needs a loud ringtone to where I'm in public standing by you in line and I got to hear, don't stop believing on volume 80 because somebody's calling you. Put it on vibrate. I have my phone always on vibrate so it doesn't ring and annoy other people. No one else should have to listen to my ringtone. That's rude. Also rude. People who are like somewhere they shouldn't be, like in the line at the grocery store, jam-packed in the the L train in Chicago. I always used to see this there. And they're having the most inappropriate phone discussion 
openly and loudly with all these strangers around. I had one guy, I was on the train in Chicago once, and he was talking about all the drama with his child support and his wife's on and off drugs, and he was hooking up with this girl, but now he's not, and she needs to get off the drugs to get this uh, child support. He's talking to his lawyer about all the details of the child support and how to nail the wife so she doesn't get all this stuff, all this stuff. Totally inappropriate conversation to have on a packed subway train. Am I right? So listen, I understand these little boxes run our lives and I'm guilty of it too. If I don't have my phone, I feel naked. I have to have my phone all the time. But there's still a time and a place where all this stuff's appropriate and inappropriate. And I feel like we're getting away from it. Face-to-face appointments, put your phone away and talk to somebody. Loud ringtones and loud conversations in public, that's inappropriate to me. I would never, ever do that. So, am I wrong for this? Especially the business meeting one. That's just, it's happened to me two or three times the last two weeks. And it's really starting to get on my last nerve. And I don't know whether I'd be rude or not as the business person to say, you know what, I really wish you think it's, put your phone away is what I want to say. Is it rude of me to say, you know what, I, I, I'd really feel more comfortable if we could talk face to face. Like, how do you say that as the business guy on the other end, who's just sitting here looking at the clock, waiting for you to look up from your Facebook post so I can answer a question you asked me and you're not paying attention for. So tell me, what's the best way to handle it? And am I a jerk for thinking all this stuff? I don't think I am. It's it's just an appropriate way to handle stuff and an inappropriate way. This is inappropriate, damn it. Talk to you later.